Good morning. Good to see you guys. Good to be together in the house of the Lord to, to worship together and to come together to encourage one another as well. Um, if you're new here this morning or if you're new online with us, we want to welcome you. We want to just tell you that it is a blessing to have you this morning. We're grateful. Um, if you're looking for a church home, again, we hope you would find one here. Um, if not, it's our heart that you find um, a church home in one of the Bible-believing, Jesus-glorifying churches that exist here in Sheridan. So we're blessed to have a number of, of great churches. We are united with those churches. We're blessed by them. We love them and the people there. And so uh, it's just important to not just that you would find a church home, but that you would plug into that and begin to serve there. So this morning, we are going to look into Psalm 107. And so I don't have it up on the thing, so you're going to need to turn your Bible on, open your Bible, grab a Bible out of the, the chairs up in front of you or something so that you can follow along. Psalm 107 is, is one of my favorite psalms. It's, it's really, the first time I read it, I remember how impactful it was to me, how it just kind of really just registered um, uh, with me, and, and it just resounded in me. It is a celebration of praise. It is an opportunity for us to glorify this great God who saves, and who saves on multiple, uh, has saved through multiple different scenarios and ways. And I think that you might find one that, that fits uh, maybe your own experience in your own testimony uh, here this morning. This is a God who has already saved. He is saving, and he stands ready to save anyone who would call upon his name. So let's, uh, let's look at this. The, the call of this psalm and we called it this morning, is let the redeemed say so. So, Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So our calling, our, what's on us as believers is, to, is this is this picture of, of, of giving thanks, of giving praise, of glorifying this great God who has intervened into our lives, who has come, who has saved us out of the circumstances and the trouble of our lives. The reality of the trouble of our lives is most of it, not all of it, certainly, but a large part of that is, is kind of self, uh, self-induced trouble. We have a lot of self-induced trouble in this world that we live in. We also are overrun by trouble out of our world. And what we'll see is in these scenarios, some of them deal with direct disobedience, and some of them just have no real disobedience um, tied to them. But we're to be a people who give thanks to this God. Why? Because he's good. And because his love is everlasting. And what does that mean? That means that God's love has went from all antiquity past and will extend forever and ever and ever and ever into the future. There is no end to this loving God, and his love is steadfast. It's unchangeable. It's unmoving. It's this love. It's this thing. It's this place of permanence that we can always count on. The Bible says that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us that his relationship to us is steadfast and secure. And we're to say so, because we've been redeemed. We've been bought. We've been purchased back. To be redeemed means that, that, that we've been bought at a cost, right? If you, if you ever, we understand redemption in the idea of like coupons, right? 
And so you can take a coupon and try it sometime like this at the store. Just take your $10 coupon and give it to the cashier and say, just give me the 10 bucks. I'll take the 10 bucks. How about that, right? But see, the reality of a coupon isn't the value is in the coupon. The value is in what the coupon is backed up by. The manufacturer is the one who brings value to that coupon. It's redeemed, it's bought, it's purchased back. And, and so this is the picture of those who have been bought, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, who have been purchased, who have been set free. And this is from those from the east to the west, the north and the south. It's all people. God's salvation is universal. So sometimes we struggle. We, we, we struggle with this idea, well, what about these people over here and they never heard and they never got the, the gospel? But I want to remind us that God is supernatural, that God's word here is telling us that all people from all places around this globe will have representation in heaven. As a matter of fact, we're told that, that every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will have a representation in heaven. And we've got to remember that this is a, a supernatural God. And in this psalm, we'll see that his only requirement is that we would, we would cry out, that we would recognize that we have a need, that that need is outside of ourselves, and that when we cry out to this God to save us, <clears throat> he is faithful to do that. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. They wandered in deserts. Again, this, this part of the psalm doesn't deal with any kind of um, rebellion. It doesn't deal with that. It just says that there are these people, and they're wandering. And they're wandering aimlessly in a desert place, in a barren place, that they don't have direction, that they don't have a place to go to. They can't find a city, an inhabited place to live, and therefore they just wander in this wasteland. They were hungry and they were thirsty. There was a desire in them for something more. They understood that something was lacking in their lives. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you found yourself just wandering through life, wondering what it was about. What's the purpose of life and how do we do this? Maybe you found yourself hungering and thirsting for something more, something of something that, that was real, something that would change something. You see, we live in a world where we're, where we're wandering around in this world trying to find meaning and find purpose, to find something that will fill us up, right? And we're a people that are looking to all of the things generally that cannot do that. It's really only in our relationship to God that we can find our identity, our meaning, and the purpose for our lives today. They were hungry and thirsty, and what they needed, too, was they needed community. They needed a place to be. And see, that's this, the importance of church. The reason it's important for you and me to come to church isn't for us. It's for those who are outside of the church. As a matter of fact, the church is one of the only institutions I can think of that is in place for those who aren't part of it. 
Yeah, it's in place for us to grow, to learn, to, to grow deeper in our relationship to Christ, to encourage one another, to be blessed by one another, but for what? To go out of those doors and to be the church, to love well into the community around us, to display the relation, to speak of who this God is and how he saves and how people can find meaning and purpose. It says that he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. They were hungry and thirsty. And if we think back and we look into John chapter four and the woman at the well, right? Jesus, remember, simply told her, you're drinking out of the wrong well. You're wandering through this place and through this life. You're believing that relationship is gonna bring you to a place of security and comfort and meaning and purpose, but it won't do it. Only I can do that. And then he pointed her back to himself and he says, but if anyone drinks of the water that I have, right, they'll never thirst again. As a matter of fact, it will become living water within them that will boil up and overflow out of their lives. It's only God who satisfies this thirst that we have in this life, that that thirst is God is good enough to even give us a thirst, that we might thirst for other things, that we might long for a deeper walk with this God. And then remember later on in that same story, he's telling the disciples, he's telling them, look, uh, they're like, have some food. We know you haven't ate for a while. And Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the Father, right? And then he goes on to tell them about how others have planted seed and, and that seed has been watered and stuff, but you're about to get to be a part of the harvest. And he's sending them back into the very people that they don't even want to have anything to do with, the Samaritans. And he's telling them, this is what meaning looks like. Meaning looks like living your life on purpose for a real purpose, not for a temporary purpose, not for the things that are going to pass away in this world, but for the things that are eternal and things that have eternal reward. And we only find our, our satisfaction from our thirst in God, and we only find the satisfaction for the hunger that we have in our relationship to him and the purpose that he gives us by carrying out this commission that he's given us. It's in this place that we find meaning, and it's this place that we glorify him. It's this place where we thank him. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. And this is a reality too that there is so much darkness out there. I, I, I never cease to be amazed at the degree of brokenness and darkness that we're surrounded with right here in our community. That, that we can live in our own little bubble and we won't experience it so much. But if we get out and we get into the world and we begin to allow our lives to even be inconvenienced by others, we'll soon understand and see the brokenness that's all around us, the struggle that's all around us. 
that there are people literally that are living in darkness. There's no light. They can't see the light. And they're chained in that. And they're struggling. And it looks like addictions. It, it looks like empty pursuits. And, and we, we are a people, and maybe that's been your experience too. Maybe you found yourself in a dark place. And maybe it was even apart from those things. Maybe, maybe just on the inside, it just felt like everything was dark and getting darker, that, that the struggle was, was just deepening and, and, and that you were just um, in this dark night of the soul. There are so many out there who are experiencing this. And it says that God bowed their hearts down with hard labor. And I can tell you, if you live in addiction, if you live in these things, it gets to be hard work. People don't set out to, to, to put themselves in a place of hard work, but God is good enough to send hard work into that area. He's good enough to, to not let that be an easy place. He's good enough to not allow that to be a place where somebody can sit comfortably. And it says that he, he bowed their hearts with hard work. Hard labor. <clears throat> they fell down with none to help. They felt alone. They looked around and there was nobody to help. And this becomes, I think, a real quandary for Christians. Because there are times in our, in, in our Christian walk that, yes, we are called to help. Absolutely. And, and this is a, a huge part of, of who we are and what we're called to do. But there are also times where we need to step back and not get in the way of what God wants to do in the life of someone else. Because only God can do this. Only God can deliver this, this person. And so maybe some of us in here, maybe you struggle, maybe you know of a family member or somebody close to you who's in this place. And what happens, what tends to happen, especially in addiction, is that people continue to prop them up and they don't allow it to hit bottom. And the reality of each one of us is that until we recognized our need, until we sat in a place where we said, wow, this is just too much work, this is too hard, and we weren't being propped up, it's only then that we generally cry out. Nobody cries out for a savior until they recognize their need for a savior. So we wanna be helpful, we wanna do the right thing, but sometimes being helpful and propping someone up is not good. Sometimes it's not loving because it's God. It's the, he's the one who can deliver them. He's the one who is at work in their hearts and in their lives. He's the one who can make a difference. He's the one who brings them out of darkness and the shadow of death and bursts their bonds apart, right? And yeah, it was bad decisions on many occasions that lead us into those places, right? Because we reject God's word, because we go our own way. This is the core of the struggle of humanity today is that we reject God and we reject the things of God. And so then we find ourselves experiencing the consequences of having done so. See, you can't break God's law. It's impossible. You can't break God's law. You can't really break any of the physical laws. You can't break God's law any more than you could break the law of gravity. We've all tried, right? and we've suffered the consequences of trying to break the law of gravity. God's laws are the same. They're there for our good. They're there for our flourishing. They're there for our benefit. They're there to bring life to us. But when we push up against those things, when we don't listen to them, we find ourselves suffering the consequences of that. We find ourselves in a deep struggle um, because we've just spurned 
his counsel. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy." Some were fools. And what does the Bible say about a fool? It says that a fool wants nothing to do with wisdom or instruction. And we know, too, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's only in that place where our knowledge, the knowledge that we have is rightly applied. It's through the wisdom of the Lord. We have a lot of knowledge, but our knowledge doesn't come with wisdom so much in our culture. And so therefore, the knowledge that we have is applied in ways that don't really bring life. They don't really have the effect that God would have that to be. And so they were fools through their sinful ways. And they were fools, why? Because they didn't live in the fear of the Lord. They didn't understand the wisdom of the Lord. And they lived in their iniquities. And they suffered affliction. And they loathed any good thing, any kind of food, anything that would really satisfy and then they drew near to the gates of death. And death is the great equalizer in our, in our culture and in the world around us. It's, it's the reality of our mortality that begins to change us. It begins to make us become a lot more aware of what's to come. Until we reckon with our mortality, we, we, we just stay focused in the present. We kind of live in the present. But if again, it's, it's God's word and how it always leads us to this idea that, that one day, that, that we're going to pass out of this existence, and then what? And, and, and the big question becomes, when, when that happens and we, we're, we're, we, we leave this existence through death, then who's going to rescue you from death? And it won't be our intellect. It won't be money. It won't be our power. It won't be our position. It won't be the things that we have or that we've collected. It'll only be God that is able to re- reach out. And remember, it says that his hand is not so short that he cannot save. And he's the one that we'll call to. And when we cry upon him, he delivers us. And he delivers us out of our distress. He sent his word and healed them. What is it that heals us? It's God's word in our lives. It's it's this Romans 12, 2 thing, right? About not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed how? By the renewing of our mind, right? Anna was talking this week about a sermon she heard and. And, and, and the guy was just talking about the really the only thing that we can change is our mind. But when we change our mind, that opens up the, the door that God can then change our heart. We always just want our heart changed. God, just change this in me. Take this from me. Give me something different. I'm tired of this. Make me patient. Make me kind. Make me whatever. Make me more loving. And God is like, okay, change your mind. And then I'll change your heart. Renew your mind. Get in his word. His word is what's been sent to heal us. It's, it's, it's his word that delivers us. It's his word that showed up as a living savior, right? Who spoke words of life and into us. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. 
They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away. In their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. It's about business and those doing business, and we all have business that we do. Even the church isn't a business, but the church has business that it has to attend to. We all have business. The problem with business is that business can become consuming in our lives. We can begin to believe that the reason and the purpose for our lives is the business that we're conducting. The problem with business is that it, it, it can have the effect of, of just consuming us. It's why the Bible has so many warnings about wealth, is because wealth has this capacity to just draw us away from God, to make us believe somehow that we're self-sufficient and that we're not in need. But God is good enough to not allow us to stay in that position. He's good enough to bring sometimes a storm that churns up everything, that, that kind, of, kind of just takes everything that we believe that we could trust in, this, this boat, this vessel, and it just leaves us sometimes at its mercy of just the only thing that I've got that I can rely on, the only thing that I can look to at this point in time is, is God and, and, and his goodness and who he is and his strength to deliver me out of this. And so, these, so he's good enough to bring the storm, and when we cry out, he's also good enough to deliver us into that haven, that port, the, the destination where we were going. But I can promise you that, that that ship, when it got to that port after these circumstances, its mind had been changed. Its, 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 uh, its priorities had been put back in the right place. God is good enough to stir us out of this idea of our business and the idea somehow that our business is gonna bring for us a great return. Our business needs to be under his authority and under his direction. Otherwise, it has the great capacity to turn us away. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. So God is in control of all things. And that's what this... this if we're getting nothing more out of this psalm, we just see that it's all God. That at the end of the day, this isn't about us. This isn't about how good we are. It's not about how clever we are. It's not about how much resources we have. It's about God who is able to do the things that we're unable to do. And it says here that he can take even what was fruitful and a land that was, was good, and because of the evil of the people, he can switch that and he can make it into a barren wasteland. That's not me saying that. That's what God says. And God does that in actual lands, and God does that within the landscape of our own hearts at times, right? That, that, that within the landscape of our own heart, if we're, if we're living opposed to God, then our heart is going to look like a barren wasteland. He also turns the desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. 
They sow fields and they plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. So God is able to, to out of what would seem our circumstances and, and, and the world and the environment around us, he's able to make that bloom. He's able to turn that around and to make that into something else. He's able to take a group of people and make a community out of it in the midst of that. And he's allowed them to, to prosper in this. There he lets the hungry to dwell. Remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, right? They sow fields, they plant vineyards, and they get a fruitful yield. I really believe that this is what the church is to be. The church is a community of gatherers that we come together and we, we bring what we have, and together we're so much more than what we could be a part. This is why God calls us to community, is because our giving, as we pool our giving we're able to reach out and to do far more than what we can do individually. We're able to take the resources and the giftings and the callings that are on your lives and, and to, to bring them into this body so that this body might really move and operate in the way that God has called it to work in this world so that we might take those giftings, we might take them and both exercise them in here and also in the world around us, that we might be someplace that's attractive to the rest of the world that people would say, well, I would like to be a part of that community. I would like to be a part of something that's happening. But in reality, that's gonna take all of us. That's gonna take us all with the right perspective, a mind that's been renewed and changed, a mind that has allowed all of the distractions and the struggles in this world to be put in their proper place, to elevate God to his highest place and recognize that God, through him, all things are possible. That we can accomplish whatever God has for us not because we're good, but because he's good, because he's able, not because we have strength, but because our strength comes from the Lord. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander on trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. What does that say? Well, that says to us that when we don't like the landscape that's around us, don't worry. Maybe you don't like a political scene you live in. Don't worry. That's not what life is about. And we don't have a God who's unable to make us prosper in the midst of a hostile environment. God is able to, to take a remnant of people and always bless them and always have them prosper, even in the midst of hostility, right? Psalm 23 reminds us of this, that he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies and that our cup overflows, that we lack nothing, right? Because of this God and because of who he is. The upright, they see it and they are glad and wickedness shuts its mouth. Why? Because in the presence of God and the presence of his goodness, when we're walking in his ways and in his precepts, wickedness cannot come against us. It cannot speak out against us. The psalm finishes this way. It says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Again, wisdom, where does wisdom come from? It comes from the fear of the Lord. That when we're wise and we recognize and we have a sense of awe and wonder of this God and the, um, how amazing he is and how capable he is to save out of any circumstance that anyone would find themselves in ever. 
how this is a God who's able to take deserts and turn them into um, just, just a, an oasis. He's able to take an oasis and turn it into a desert. He's able to take his people and have them prosper even in the midst of hostility. And he can turn the hearts of kings like water, it says, like water in a ditch. He can just move it whichever way he directs, however he would have it to go. So whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord that which is forever past and that which is forever future, his love, which has never changed, which has never been diminished, which is never um, focused on his people and on who we are. And so maybe this morning, I don't know, maybe this morning one of these scenarios is one that you found yourself in. And maybe you simply just have never made that move. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never asked God to save you. Maybe you've never asked him to deliver you out of these circumstances. All you have to do is cry out. I remember the day that that happened for me. And and I can tell you that for me, it was darkness. It was a dark night of the soul. On the inside, on the outside, things weren't so bad. But on the inside, they were awful. They were horrible. It was this terrible conflict within me. And I remember just feeling hopeless and stuck in the dark. And my prayer was this, God, I don't know who you are, but if you'll show me who you are, I'm ready to follow you. And God was faithful. He heard that prayer. And I know that the next thing that happened was that Jesus was revealed to me. I still can't believe it. I still can't believe that I became a Christian. I really can't, because like I told you, I would have been anything but a Christian at that time. But God's truth, it pervaded my soul. His, his word came, and it rescued me, and I, got, and I started reading a Bible, and, and, and it started somehow soaking in where it used to just bounce off. It, it started soaking in, and God delivered me out of that, and he changed my life, and he's still changing it today, and I'm not a perfect guy. I don't stand here before you saying I'm a perfect guy. I'm a guy that's on a journey. But I'm in a lot different place in that journey than I used to be. And you too, you can, you can have that. And don't think that just because maybe you've sat in church for a lot of Sundays that you've done that. One of my biggest fears as a pastor is that we have people who sit in this church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but have never cried out to the Lord, have never really recognized their need for a Savior. Maybe for them, it's just been a good thing to do and a good social thing. But I want to tell you that that Jesus has come and he's come to rescue us. He's come to redeem us, to purchase our lives back where where we had taken our lives away and went on our own and and lived in kind of a, a way that just didn't bring worth. And goodness, he's come to give worth. He's come to redeem us and to purchase us. And not only that, he's come to give you life. He's come to to give you a place to plug into, to plug back into him, to live by the Spirit and according to the Spirit so that we might not live in the way that's common to us or the way that we have lived, that we might live in a higher economy and for a greater cause and a greater purpose. So if in our prayer you want to do that, all you have to do is just do that. See, it's him. Here's what Psalm 107 says, it says, he is good, he has redeemed, he delivered, he led, he has satisfied the thirsty, 
The hungry soul, he is filled with what is good. He humbled their heart. He saved them. He brought them out of darkness. He has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. He sent his word. He spoke and raised up a stormy wind. He brought them out of their distress. He called the storm to be still. He guided them to their desired haven. He changes rivers into a wilderness. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water. There he makes the hungry to dwell. He blesses them. He does not let their cattle decrease. He pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. He sets the needy securely on high, away from affliction. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them give thanks for his loving kindness and for his wonders. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. Father, we just come before you and we are so grateful. We thank you, Jesus, that you saved us that you were on a rescue mission, and that when there was no hope and when we were in total despair, that you rescued us out of our trouble. I pray for anybody here who's never done that, if you've never asked Jesus to rescue you out of your struggle, if you've never reckoned with the reality of your mortality and understood that there's only one who can rescue you from death, I just pray that this morning would be the morning, that you would recognize that today is the day of your salvation, that you would cry out and you would say, God, I've been wrong before you, and I need a Savior. Come, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Rescue me, forgive me. Set my feet on a new path. Fill me with your spirit and guide and direct me. The Bible says that if we, if we do this thing, that he's faithful, that it's about him. It's not about our goodness. It's not about who we've been. It's not how good we've been. It's not about how bad we've been. It's about what you've done for us, Jesus. And so, Lord, we just want to commit our lives to you. And Lord, maybe we're sitting here this morning too and we've let business get in the way of our relationship to you. Maybe we've considered our businesses more important than our relationship to you this day. And maybe that looks like hobbies or any number of idols that we might put before you. Lord, we just thank you that you would bring sometimes a stormy sea to recalculate our minds that would bring us back into a place of reprioritizing what's important and what's not. Help us, Lord, that we wouldn't be a people who wander in the wasteland. We know, Lord, that there are, a matter of fact, there are people in our nation today who have never really heard the gospel. For probably the first time in a long time that we are a nation in need of missionaries. Um, not that we haven't always needed that, but we've been a nation, Lord, that sent them out, and now they need to come in. And we need to be that here in the church, so, Lord, equip your people Send us, God, to do the things that you've called us to do. May we understand the satisfaction of drinking deep from your well, Lord. May we understand who we are and may we receive our identity from that place. And may we fill our hungry spots with your plans and your purposes in your life. May we be a people who live with deep purpose because you have given us purpose, because you've given us works to do. May we in this church, individually and corporately, may we walk in all that you have for us. Will you pour your spirit out into us, Lord? Will you change us? Will you help us, Lord? Will you help us to fulfill the things that you want to do through us and in us and in this world? And we thank you, Jesus, that you've saved us. We extol you in this congregation right here. We lift you to the highest place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.